Welcome back to Cover B Real Extra. It's so extra, you guys. As always, I am Chris. And I am T. And we are here to talk to you about Spider-Man 3. No. Amazing no. Spider-Man 2. Wait, that movie happened? <clears throat> Somewhere, yeah. Uh, no, our, our bad, Andrew Garfield. Like, it's not your fault that yeah, the second one was just, like... Swept up in a tide. Well, and here's the problem with the second one, is that it was it was bad, but also forgettable. Like, Spider-Man 3 was an <clears throat> awful movie, mm-hmm. all, all intents and purposes, but yeah. it had iconic sections that, like, we'll never forget and we'll continue to reference until the end of time. Yeah, like, true. Like, Tobey Maguire's stupid, you know, boogie shoe bullshit will live in infamy on the internet until the end of time. But Andrew Garfield, like, your movie was just boring. It's true. Like, not your so, fault. Thank you for joining us on Real Extra. Uh, if you want more, come for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, we are here to talk about Spider-Man Far From Home. Um, at the beginning of this stream, I just want to... Again, remind you how this is going to work. We're going to give a spoiler-free kind of rundown of how we felt. Um, and then we're going to talk about some spoiler-tastic things. We will have a spoiler warning. You'll hear an alarm. Uh, I'll actually put the alarm sound effect in this time. <laughs> yeah, he totally didn't do that for our last one. So if in our last one you got super spoiled, yep. that sucks. Though I, I think, uh, wasn't our I, last one Phoenix? Yeah. yeah I have, you, that's I've had okay. a conversation with our editor uh he's really just not picking up the slack that he needs to be chris is our editor and overall he's just kind of a tough guy to deal with Um, you're telling me (laughs) also apologies before we start if my voice cracks in and out i was up until five in the morning doing a gaming live stream with some people we collaborate with and uh we were playing uno and i spent like five hours screaming at my friends while i played uno it's um, true it was hilarious but um it he... was yeah it was the most chaotic gaming experience of my life yeah he uh, he's a little so broken today my voice is kind of trashed anyway uh let's talk spider-man far from home t what are your thoughts on this delightful movie so i actually went in with kind of like a very blank canvas perspective like i wasn't expecting I guess I wasn't expecting it to be as good as Homecoming because Homecoming was great. And, you know, we're still kind of riding off the high of Endgame. And so, like, this one just sort of felt like a weird epilogue cleanup going into it. Like, I didn't I didn't anticipate it being a lot, maybe. I don't know. I don't know why I didn't anticipate it going a lot. I guess because I didn't really watch a bunch of trailers ahead of time. I didn't really read a bunch of stuff like predicting stuff like I knew it was Mysterio or whatever but I didn't really have a whole lot of expectation Mm -hmm. and I was thoroughly pleased I thought it was great I think it was maybe better than Homecoming um I think it handled I think the acting was phenomenal um Jake Gyllenhaal killed it did really really well killed it and I much more enjoyed Zendaya's MJ in this one than I did in Homecoming. I Agreed. think yep. they did a really good job of developing her character this time. Um, still would appreciate some hair dye. 
to Zendaya. Just just saying, you know, I, She's I like. She's not even a redhead. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care what color you is, but MJ I like as a redhead because that's how you just. Dis- no, but there's a purpose to that because there's multiple like Spider-Man loves like. MJ is supposed to be the redhead because Gwen is the blonde. And, like, it's just, it's a thing. Like, it's, it's a thing. No, I agree. But I it's cool. fine. I think Zendaya still killed it. Um, and I thought overall the movie was enjoyable. I thought the cinematography was great. Uh, the music was pretty okay. You know, it, it didn't wow me, I guess. Um, and the after credits reveal was probably the best part of the entire movie yep and we'll definitely talk about those more i yeah. think that's probably going to take up the predominance of our like spoiler <laughs> section uh if you do go see this movie at any point in time granted it's been out since tuesday because they released it early since thursday was a holiday yeah fourth of uh, july which is a good call uh so it's been out for a while so a lot of people have probably already seen it but if you haven't seen it yet if you're going out this week uh or something like that then um, just make sure that you stay through the entirety of the credits. Marvel is back yes. to doing their like after credits stinger things. Yes. And these ones are huge. Yeah. Um, Very important. I really enjoyed this movie. I really enjoyed Homecoming. But I think you're right. I think this movie was like a massive step up from Homecoming, in my opinion. Oh, I yeah. think it um, like Homecoming was very like fun and endearing and in all ways it was a great movie and it had like this awesome tonal shift like halfway through when you find out that the vulture is you know pete's girlfriend potential like romance option dad you know what i mean like when you find out that that's her dad and you have to deal with that and it's like super tense all of a sudden and gets like really dark and like violent um and you know Michael Keaton was a great villain. Oh yeah. Um, and I think it did. It served a good purpose as it was because it didn't have to give us a whole other origin story, but it did a good job of introducing the character into the MCU without it being like, oh yeah, let's remind you for a third freaking time who Spider Man is. Yeah. Um, but this one, I think they just they nailed the tone of these movies. Like, they, they really, like, hammer down what the tone of the Spider-Man movies are going to be and how it's going to be different than just kind of the witty, quippy awkwardness of Guardians of the Galaxy or what Thor is becoming. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, these in and of themselves are funny movies, but they're very weird because everyone's so awkward. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Mary Jane's incredibly awkward. Yep. And Peter is incredibly awkward. Ned is incredibly awkward. And... All the kids they go to school with are incredibly awkward in their own way, which works because, you know, back in the onset of Spider-Man, he was a teenage nerd, essentially. And honestly, that persona that like I'm super smart and wear glasses and like reading science books doesn't really fly as an outcast anymore. Yeah. For two reasons. One, it's cliche. And two, those are the type of people that, you know, anti-bullying people seek to protect. It's like, you know, if you pinpoint this person as an outcast and your whole movie relies on, like, the sciencey nerd person being an outcast, then it's kind of bullyish in its own way. Yeah, no, absolutely. So instead, everyone's just kind of, like, awkward and quirky. Which and... is so good because that's – that is – 
middle and high school. Like, everyone is weird. Yep. That's just, and it doesn't matter what, like, clique or group or persona you are or hang out with. Like, everyone's awkward and weird in their own right. Yeah. Even the, like, popular ones, like, like, Flash, he's supposed to be, like, rich and, you know, streaming and doing yeah. all of these, like, cool internet stuff. But even he's kind of, like, an awkward weirdo. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's 16 and, um, for you. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, they did a good job of handling it. It was, like, everyone was calling it, like, this is the last installment of Phase 3. Like, this is the last movie in Phase 3. And even though it is the last movie, I hesitate to call it an installment because I think it's more of an epilogue. Because yeah. it references heavily in-game, really pulls from in-game, and does set up some stuff moving forward, but it's otherwise mainly just a reaction to what came before. Yeah. You know? And we'll get into that in a little bit more detail because there's a major theme of this movie that persists throughout this whole thing that serves as this huge like transitionary thing. But it was more of a, like, it's kind of, Spider-Man Far From Home is like the end credits stinger of Phase 3. Right, that's a good way of putting it. You know what I mean? Like, it's a lot of setup and a lot of moving forward, but it isn't consequentially new in its own way. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like this is a brand new origin. It's super heavily referential of, like, what came before. Um, And that's good. That's what we needed. After the spectacle of Endgame, after coming out of this, like, you know, (laughs) decade-plus spanning arc of movies that were building this world that finally culminated and now we're moving into whatever's coming next which according to the people at marvel might be considerably different it's good to have this kind of refreshing like cleanse into that you know and i think it was interesting because this movie did a good job of regrounding us in the mcu Mm -hmm. and what i mean by that is like okay yeah he's in europe he's you know hopping from this location to that location to this location to that location but, like, it's Earth, and it's humans, and it's yeah. us, and it's kids, and it's it, – it just feels very um, based around us, whereas Endgame was so magnificent and, and hopping through the, you know, time stream yeah. and hopping through space and – these massive intricate you know expectations and and world and universe ending catastrophes like this felt so much more grounded and being like okay we had all that crap but now we're back to here Mm -hmm. to remind you that these people are still consequential in lives just like your own yeah yeah. it it brought it back to the neighborhood yeah yeah exactly and i thought that was a cool touch because like he spends a lot of time in the movie like referring to himself as the neighborhood spider-man and like talking about how he just wants to bring it back to the neighborhood and he doesn't want to like go to space anymore and stuff and then most of with the exception of like one big fight he spends most of the time in like alleyways you know and like courtyards bouncing off of walls of buildings like he doesn't spend a lot of time like swinging all over the city so he's still very much it's not his neighborhood but he's in a neighborhood protecting a neighborhood. Yeah. No, you know? that's a really and good I point. I thought that was, you know, because it's like five buildings that have like homes and apartments in them at any given time. Yeah. So like that's a neighborhood. Might not be his, but he's still the neighborhood night monkey. So, 
Um, so at this point, we will transfer over to spoiler time. So, spoiler warning is in effect. Let the sirens ring, ring, ring. Ding, um, ding. And we will ding, talk ding, about more spoilery tastic things, which I want to transition into one thing off of what you were saying, off yes. of what you were getting at. Um, what I thought was really cool is, you know, a lot of, and this has been kind of a crit not so much a complaint but a criticism that i've had about a lot of the marvel movies Mm -hmm. is that like every single one for a long time felt like incredibly dire you know what i mean yeah they weren't very interpersonal conflicts they were like the world is gonna freaking end it's over if you don't do something you know yeah and like the galaxy is doomed if you don't have a dance off like that kind of thing (laughs) and um it, I think, like, they've changed it a bit. Like, Thor Ragnarok wasn't really that way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it was bad news for Asgard, but that's kind of it, you know? And then he gave up on Asgard anyway. And, like, the second Guardians of the Galaxy wasn't really that way. It was really just, like, a quill problem more than anything. Right. Um. And, yeah, you know, Ego started, like, sucking the energy out of the Earth or whatever. But, like... It was still mainly a quill issue, mm-hmm. you know. It wasn't very like, let's get everybody involved. Like, Ultron's gonna drop a city on the world, kind of thing. No, I was. Um, and I think this movie did a really cool, like, cool, subtle way of like, kind of poking fun at its like the Marvel universe poking fun at itself because of that. Because like the whole premise is there's all these elementals coming out quentin beck's from this world that got destroyed by these elementals and now he's helping us fight them so that they don't destroy our world but none of it's real it's really just quentin beck trying to like become an avenger because you know know, you don't make the news if it's not a world ending catastrophe so it's like every all the pieces that they're like you know uh nick fury's enlisting people to help with this world ending thing and you know, Nick Fury's constantly talking about how, like, you gotta step up, boy, and, like, stuff like that. And there's this, like, super sci-fi, like, big blasting hero and giant monsters smashing into buildings and, like, ray lasers and ray guns and magic getting slung about people flying through the air. But none of it's real. You know, in reality, like, if nobody did anything to stop this, it would just be Quentin Beck pretending to be a superhero for the rest of his life with the help of his drones you know yeah i mean mean, he would have destroyed a whole bunch of london yeah like a a bunch of shit would have gotten destroyed but like quentin beck's not gonna destroy the world his elementals are fake they're not gonna do it well and his whole purpose is to not destroy the world he wants to quote unquote before he goes kind of bananas like the whole point is to be heard and to help the world like yeah, yeah he created the the illusionary stuff to benefit the 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 yeah. planet and it got turned into and i just i i think that's a really <laughs> cool way of you know putting under a microscope the kind of double lives of spider-man like in the comics and in the movies it's like sometimes Spider-Man is just like in his main comics for the most part he's just friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. He's cruising yeah. around New York stopping dudes that want to rob banks and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like that's just what he does. But when there's a crisis level event, suddenly he's like flying through space and punching Thanos in the dick 
you know, like, <laughs> and those are two huge, you know, like there are some superheroes who do the friendly neighborhood side of things, but would never be seen stepping up to the like big dogs, Luke Cage, except as like a team, you know, yeah. what I mean, like Luke Cage and Iron Fist. They have been on plenty of teams that have handled crisis level things. But they don't do it themselves. But they very rarely have been at the forefront, like with Thor behind them. Like, you got this, Luke? And Luke's like, yeah, I got this, brother. And then like punches a nihilist in the dick. Everyone's punching people in the dick. I can't get off the dick thing. <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> uh, get away from the dicks, Chris. I never, <laughs> never wanted to have to say that to myself. <laughs> never wanted to have to say that. Um, step away from the dicks. Um, Happy Sunday, y'all. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Anyway, um, so I, I think that's a really cool, like, it's simultaneously bringing up that criticism that people have where a lot of the Marvel movies are very, like, spectacle-heavy, very, like, doom and gloom. A lot of superhero movies in general, it's very, like, every single one you get into, it's like, oh my god, everyone's gonna die. So if that's what you're building your universe off of, it would be like the Marvel Comics universe being nothing but major crossover events. Wait. <coughs> um, Man. W- weird. Something in my throat. Did you... Uh, the allergies yeah, just got really rough in here. Some spores in here, Ugh, I think. Itchy. Uh, anyway, uh, so I thought that was really cool because it's a cool way of, like I said, putting the double lives of Spider-Man. You know, not not just his, like, Peter Parker and Spider-Man kind of thing, but, like... How sometimes Spider-Man is a space-traveling world galaxy-saving hero just because he's, like, the most popular Marvel hero. So he's always at the forefront of these things, you know? I mean, hell, Venom exists because Spider-Man was popular enough to go to Secret War, like, that big 12-issue event, and then get a special alien costume and take that back to Earth with him. You know what I mean? Like, that's how popular Spider-Man is. That a, like, the Beyonder, an eternal being with abilities, like, unmatched by many others in the galaxy, was like, he can come to my secret war. Bloop. <laughs> you know, like, this little dude in, like, a red underoos is just, like, suddenly on this mysterious planet fighting with a bunch of other superheroes, you know? It's awesome. Yeah, no, I think it's a good point, and I don't know, I, I think... They just did a really good job of of keeping him grounded and and demonstrating that like there is that connection between bodega saving yeah. Spider Man and you know spaceship hopping Spider Man. Yeah. So that's nice. Now we're gonna talk about the part that I really want to talk about because it's the only part that really matters in this movie. To be to, to be we're honest, diving into the stingers. Yeah. So. The most important stinger and the most important part of the stinger. So literally the like 15 seconds of the stinger that I really gave a shit about. And that is J. Jonah Jameson. Yeah. Fuck yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I hope we didn't have anything else to talk about. So uh, yeah. So there's two stingers. And I believe in order... They are, the mid credit stinger is, uh, it has Mary Jane and Peter finish up their, like, 
swing through New York. Which is adorable. And she didn't like it, which I thought was hilarious because... They always depict it as, like, the best thing Mary ever. Mary yeah, has always been like, we swing with me, Spidey. And she's like, no, I'm never doing that again. And <laughs> MJ this, is not having MJ it. did not have it. And then up pops a news article that is doctored footage from Quentin Beck's death, quote-unquote, which I don't believe that he's dead. I think he's going to come back. That would make um, sense. To, I mean, it's Jake Gyllenhaal. That would be a great character to get back. Oh, yeah. They didn't kill vulture so they probably have plans to use michael keaton again at some point in time because why wouldn't you again and perfect. you know you're talking about a dude who his like whole thing was like contingencies on top of contingencies on top of contingencies and even though he did do the super villain thing of like getting too big for his britches right there at the end and panicking when he gets shot in the gut by his own droids and he's laying there dead and peter's like super cool ray-bans are like Yep, no illusions found. So it's a dude in a mask, or it's like he forced one of his underlings to get plastic surgery or some shit. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's, I, I don't see him being dead. Anyway, there's doctored footage that has him, like, framing Spider Man for the attack on London with the drones. And that flies into an InfoWars style rant by J. Jonah Jameson. Played by none other than the incomparable J.K. Simmons. It's so good! <laughs> they have it's it's really cool because they've merged two of my favorite versions of J, of J. Jonah into, into one. one. Because, because he was like the Spider-Man PS4 in, yeah, JJ like, who has the podcast. Yeah, he was like InfoWars style like hate mongering. Which is hilarious. And it was it was wonderful. It was great. And now that's who it is and i really hope it's more than a cameo i really 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 do i want him to like pop up in other spider-man entries because good lord i think the reaction they're getting because okay so if you don't remember jk simmons did jjj in the original spider-man trilogy and he was probably the best casted character mm -hmm. he's iconic he has done voice acting for JJJ since then because anyone who's anyone knows that he's just perfect for that role. I mm -hmm. mean, you hear his voice when you look at JJ in a comic or something like that. Yeah. So everybody had been saying, you, you can't recast Jonah. You have to get J.K. Simmons to do it again. It has to be consistent. There's no one else that could do it better. So they had been very coyly hinting that they were considering J.K. Simmons that, to continue that yeah. role. There had been very subtle, like, maybe we will, maybe we just, won't. Yeah, it always just felt like fan service. Yeah. Like, hey, we're making this movie, and we like J.K. too. We'd love to have him as, you know. BJ lots of winks, lots of, like, pulling yeah. us along, stringing us yeah. along. And then he pops up in this. And clearly, I mean, since he's done voice acting for the character in other scenarios, we know J.K. Simmons loves the role. So I think it's entirely possible that this is going to be an ongoing factor i also think it's very interesting and i think it's inevitable to keep him in this role because betty brant is a huge part of this movie mm -hmm. she and ned start dating and do like oh, this adorable like my favorite subplot this adorable this european thing. vacation love story it was so good it I was adorable those two but they did an interesting thing where betty brant looks exactly like you would expect Gwen Stacy to it's look. It's true, yeah. Which means she's, I think she is going to continue to be an important and relevant part in this 
world. And I think part of it is that she is going to be a giant connection to the Daily Bugle. Yeah. And kind of, especially since she's also like doing the news reports at, at school or whatever, like the morning announcements and stuff like that. It just yeah, seems like maybe very... the next entry will have them going to college. Or doing like an like, internship or something. Yeah, and she'll like... be like working at the Bugle or doing an internship at the Bugle, and that will be the connection in, you know. Exactly. It'll I just... probably still just be like a background character, like subplot type. Right. Thing, it won't be like be super important, yeah, yeah. but I feel like it'll still be there enough. And I think that's there's too much set up there for it to all just be inconsequential. Sure. Um, but it was so great to have him just like pop up, and I feel like. It was really hard for me to focus on what was actually happening, which the stinger's huge because in the stinger, he unmasks Peter Parker as yep. the Spider-Man, which is a huge deal. But I was too busy screaming incoherently about J.K. Simmons being J.J.J. that I like it ended. And I was like, wait, what happened? Oh, crap. That happened. Yep. And, it, you know, it is a really cool way to cap off the end of phase three because the first three phases very much were the iron man saga right iron man was the central focus he was the team leader he was in the middle of it all and he was ultimately the one that saved the day and he had the and, most character progression yeah and iron man had a huge role in this film even without robert downey jr there because there, peter yeah. was coping with loss. the loss of tony his mentor as well as the suggestion being made by a lot of different people, including posthumously by Tony, that Peter needs to be the next Iron Man, that Peter needs to step up and take his place. And that expectation is really lofty for a 16-year-old yeah. boy. This kind of side note real quick, the cinematographer and director did a great job with this because there's moments where Peter mentions, like, everywhere I go, I just see his face. I see Tony. And it's true because throughout the – like, I want to go back and watch it and watch for these. And if you go to see it, if you're listening to this before you've gone to see it or you've got another showing, do this. When he's just, like, doing stuff, they're just, like, moving around. Other stuff's happening. They don't reference them directly. But in the background of a lot of scenes as other stuff's going on are, like, billboards with Tony on it and like posters with Tony on it and like Iron Man statues and graffiti, and like graffiti with yeah. Iron Man's face on it. So Peter literally is seeing Iron Man everywhere. everywhere he goes. And that's such a cool touch because like when he says it, he's like, everywhere I go, I see his face. You think it's just like in his like grief stricken mind, but it's because the world is literally obsessed with the man who saved the world, saved the universe, brought everyone back. Yeah like fixed helped fix the blip you know what i mean which yeah. you know hulk did the blip but like tony took out thanos you know yeah. and built the gauntlet that the hulk was able to use and stuff like that so tony's really the star there but um no it and then he died um but it, it's just like a cool touch and then you know like i was saying with the difference between like world ending like flying through the air type spider-man versus like friendly neighborhood spider-man he struggles with this idea of replacing tony up until the very last conflict of the movie which is a high-flying huge in the middle of this city giant clouds of drones bullets and explosions going off everywhere and so that was a very iron man 
thing. So in the other battles, he's fighting just like in these alleyways and courtyards and stuff because he's still just a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. And then he says, wait, I could be Tony. I could I be have Iron Man. to be Iron Man. And then suddenly this huge, big spectacle battle, you know? Yeah. So I thought that was cool. But back to the stinger, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the first phase kicked off with the famous line of, I am Iron Man. And it finished off with Tony saying, I am Iron Man. That was his, like, last line, you know? And now here we have phase four essentially starting with, you are Spider-Man. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Forced into it. It's super cool. I think it's, I think it's very, a very nice touch is to, like, in that epilogue. You know, like I said, this was very much an epilogue, but the Stingers are very much like new pushing forward content and i think that's a great one to wrap up phase three and just be like you know because tony went into phase one fully confident like yeah i'm iron man deal with it and now peter has to go into phase four with people being like you're, you're spider-man, Spider-Man. yeah you know? and so that, so so smart the second stinger is equally as intense and consequential maybe not quite to the same extent but the implications are bizarre. It could mean a lot. It could mean a ton. So much. So we have the reveal, um, which I just have to say, we did, as podcasters, we thought it was important that we make predictions on the movies going into them. Yeah. Um, I made some predictions that did not come true. I did predict yep. that Mysterio so was going did, to be the yeah. enemy. Before we went to see the movie, we took two post-its and we wrote down three predictions. <laughs> Right. They could be as vague as we wanted them to be, or they could be, like, very specific. Just three predictions, folded them up, put them in our pocket, right. saved them for I, I predicted that Mysterio was going to be the bad guy after all, which I was correct, and that was more obvious choice. Um, I then also said that I thought the noir-suited Spider-Man, Night Monkey, was going mm-hmm. to actually not be Spider-Man. I thought it was going to be someone else or a different universe or yeah, different going off of the different earths yeah, yeah a different yeah. earth spider-man which would have been cool i was really shooting for a nick cage cameo um <laughs> but that did not turn out to be the case so i got that one wrong and then i also predicted that there would be some um tony stark iron man ai involvement have him in the comics tony even when he's in a coma he just pops up like hey i'm an ai now I'm everywhere, and he, like, harasses Captain Marvel all the time, and nobody can get away from Tony because Tony's an egotistical butthole and wants to make sure that he's around even when he's not around. So I really thought, with the way they were building this, that he was going to make an appearance in that form or fashion. He did not, but that's okay. Um, however, our friendly neighborhood Chris over here <laughs> is oh, a yeah. big old butt munch so me, and got all of his let predictions me, right. Yeah. Let me give you a rundown. So I predicted... <laughs> That the elementals and the multiverse were going to be fake. Because it's Mysterio. That was kind of obvious. Like, yeah. admittedly, I, I am happy with, I did want to say that I'm glad I was still surprised with Mysterio. You know That's what I mean? That's true. Like, That's a good going point. Going in, knowing who Mysterio is, I fully expected him to, like, turn out to be, be faking stuff and turn out to be the bad guy. But the manner with which he was faking stuff, his motivations... And the fact that he had, like, a whole crew behind him. And that who, was cool. And who he was. And yeah. how they tied it back to, like, previous, like, Avengers stuff. Tying it into Tony. 
really cool. Like that was that was a cool way of taking this guy who's just essentially like a bank robbing illusionist and making him really dope. And the Mysterio segments were perfect. I was yeah. really worried about how Mysterio was going to translate to the screen because in comics, video games, whenever Mysterio pops up, there is some trippy shit that happens. You know, and they did an awesome job. His like illusion sequence before Pete gets hit by the train is like one of the most awesome sequences we've had in the MCU, in my opinion. It felt like the scarecrow section in the Arkham games. Yeah. When Batman's trying to like do shit and scarecrow is like, actually, you're high right now on my drug and you're poisoned and now you're tripping balls and it really sucks. Whatever team went through and choreographed that segment, like storyboarded when like what transitions would happen and stuff did a brilliant job they nailed it it was was amazing um so i had that prediction um i remember seeing in like a tv spot or maybe some promotional images i don't remember which but the sequence of them swinging through new york him and mary jane and that got me thinking like okay in the first movie spider-man was really hanging out in like smaller boroughs of new york like we never really saw him in manhattan like and in times square and shit you know like the big sections of new york like all the towering skyscrapers and stuff um so that got me thinking like whoa if he's like hanging out in that area now maybe he's gonna be getting more attention and you know who's gonna pop up daily bugle now i did not expect jk simmons jj i did think jj was gonna happen because again they've been very coy and kind of hinting that we were gonna see jj in this one like jj was gonna pop up to some degree yeah and i was excited to see who they got cast i was like you know while i would love jk to come back a new jj might be a refreshing they could get somebody cool somebody new somebody like who hasn't done it before it might be neat nope nope jk simmons and and it was awesome i am on board (laughs) So then the last one was my Hail Mary. I, I just can't I literally even with this. I literally on the post a note. And now <laughs> note that at the end of the film I only got one of three right. And then the mid credit stinger got me two of three right. I was so mad, you so guys. My fir- just so much like, rage. I was like, oh cool, two of three, that's dope. My other one was just scrolls, question mark. <laughs> because f me right he has and to be right all the time my thinking behind that was okay you have a movie that's focused entirely on this dude who can like change shape and like manipulate people's minds and like create illusions he seems to be wearing some like very alien tech maybe he got that from scrolls like maybe he found some scroll tech from leftover from one of their ships in the 90s or something and then I was also just like, you know, we had Captain Marvel happen. They obviously really wanted the scrolls to become like a popular part. Maybe there will be like a reference to the scrolls or they'll pop up some way in this movie to kind of like tie them back into the universe because they had, I mean, they gave them so much charisma. They made them so likable. It just felt weird for me that they were just going to be in Captain Marvel and then done. You can't see it right now, but I'm shaking my yep. head because I'm so aggro about this. So. I was like, well, no scrolls, whatever. Let's see what this final stinger has to do. And the final stinger opens, and it's Maria Hill and Nick Fury. Nick Fury sitting there driving, and they kind of like look at each other and huff, 
And then they change. And they're, they're scrolls. They're both scrolls. And it's bullshit. And I looked it's, at him and I was like, are you? Yeah. I was like, seriously? Seriously. It's, it's Talos and his wife. And they've been impersonating Nick Fury and Maria Hill for God knows how long. how long. They call Nick Fury to report that the guy who claimed to be from the multiverse with all the elementals was not actually. And stuff got a little out of hand and they hope his mission's going well. Cut to Nick, who's on a beach, chillin', and then we find out it's not a beach. It's just like a holographic room on some sort of giant spacecraft. He's barefoot, by the way. (laughs) scrolls all over the place, like, doing God knows what, and he's in space. So... So there's lots of rumor. Lots of lots of lots of chitter chatter. There's a lot a lot of rumors. My favorite of the rumors is that this could be since Shield is effectively dead. Yeah. This could be Sword. It's true. That seems to be the one. Oh my God, (laughs) y'all! That seems to be the one people are attaching to the most is that Nick Fury is setting up Sword, um, which is essentially the space version of Shield, kinda. Except it's a little less, like, espionage and it's more based on, like, literally being, like, a defense against alien threats. Um, but the dopeness about that, which I'm going to fangirl for just a hot minute, is that developing S.W.O.R.D. as a scroll association is really good for me. Because it gives them a very clear opportunity to introduce my favorite character, mm-hmm. who is Abigail Brand. She is a character developed by Joss Whedon. She yep. is... Uh, nobody quite knows exactly what she is. We believe she's at least half mutant, but we're not sure all of her origin because Joss likes to leave things in, in mystery. She's um, a green-haired badass. That's green-haired badass. More badass. More hard, like hard-pressed. More beat you down with her pinky finger than like Maria Hill or even maybe Black Widow. Like I think, I think in a fight she could maybe take out Black Widow cause she's got even mm-hmm. less like emotion. <laughs> she no F's given. We'll put it that way. Um, but she's awesome. And I really, really wanted her to be introduced for a long time. And I really thought she was going to get introduced in shield in not this season, but last season, because when they initially showed space, I was like, Holy shit, they're doing sword. That makes so much sense. Throw shield up in space. And then it was like the weird time hoppy bullshit. And I still don't totally understand the entirety of that season. Yeah. Um, which is just poor life choices. But it's fine. Whatever. It's fine. Um, but now we have an opportunity to do it. And she could be like half human, half scroll. And that would explain the green hair. And mm. like, oh, there's so much cool shit they could do with it. And sword yep. in general is really cool because that leads to alpha flight. And like, yep. there's just, there's so much cool shit that could happen that so, I'm really into it. <clears throat> I think the, um, of all the theories floating around, I think the Nick Fury is setting up sword is probably like the most rational. Um, <laughs> you know, after the whole like, a giant Thanos ship hovers over earth and bombards it with incredible ferocity. Like it would make sense that the man who does his best to know everything and like stop every threat would be like, I'm going to call in some help and set up a super high tech space station that we can police the world with. Well, and we know that the Chitauri are out there too. Like, you know, the Chitauri are out there. The scrolls are out there. You know, Captain Marvel's been dealing with all sorts of things. Like um, there's just so much stuff. Yeah, and so I, you know, my 
kind of going theory is that the scrolls we see, I don't think Sword is going to be run by scrolls and Nick Fury. I think it's going to be run by humans, and the scrolls are there because Nick called them in to help him build this space station, essentially. You know? It's kind of like the watchtower in Justice League. It's That's like cool. This floating space station where they can, like, keep an eye out for intergalactic threats, kind of watch the world as well, because it's Nick Fury. He's going to have all kinds of, like, espionage shit on this space <laughs> station. True. And, you know, maybe they'll, like, hitch up with the Stark satellites that have all those drones in them and use those, too. I don't know. But um, that's my prediction for why the scrolls are there. Now, one of the other big theories about this stinger is that it's setting up secret invasion. I just I don't, don't see, see that. I don't see how they can make that work. They've made the scrolls likable. Nick Fury is working with the scrolls. Why would the scrolls need to invade? And even still, like, the only way to get a decent secret invasion story off the ground, you'd have to completely vilify Nick Fury. Like, just completely turn him into a dickhead. Yeah, Nick Fury and, and all of the Skrulls. And yeah. we saved the Skrulls. The Skrulls were good people. Yeah, and, I mean, they still the seem Kree to be. The dicks. Yeah, they still seem to be good. Um, so, I don't know. There was one part where they mentioned a uh, Kree sleeper cell, which I think may have been, like, a Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. reference. But, oh, that um, would make sense. But it may have also been suggesting that the Kree are going to be the secret invading ones not the scrolls i saw somebody like mention that because of how they've developed the kree in the mcu being able oh. to like not have to always be blue and there's a oh. lot of technology that allows them to like change their skin tone and stuff that's then really interesting maybe they would be because they're total dicks in yep. this universe there's oh, not yeah. a redeemable kree in existence no all of and, the crease suck yeah <laughs> like all of them and so suck. maybe they're going to be the that's invaders, kind of cool and they're gonna start replacing the superheroes because they are also super strong so like if they suddenly showed up as well i guess captain america's not around anymore uh well we don't really have any super strong thor if they showed up as thor you know in disguise and they were like punching dudes with extreme strength then they would be like oh that's believable yeah i believe that you know I mean? yeah anyway um i don't think the secret invasion theory holds a lot of water no um, i think the sword theory holds a lot more water especially because we have captain marvel 2 coming up and that would be a great thing to focus on in that movie is have captain marvel finish up with her shit she's doing out in space get called back to earth by nick fury because he wants her to run sword and then she's like, no, I don't want to. And you know what I mean? Or like, hey, this is S.W.O.R.D. You're going to be working with them. You know, like, go do your own thing. But I want to introduce you to S.W.O.R.D. This is S.W.O.R.D. You know. Which could be an interesting use of her. Because what it could do is they could essentially develop the team she worked with in S.W.O.R.D. and Alpha Flight in the comics. And, you know, we just got her being willing to work. Remember that she is human and like how to be human and now it can be okay we know you're like little miss solo flyer you do things on your own terms but here's a team learn how to work with a team because sometimes a team can help yeah and it can kind of help re uh personalize mm -hmm. her a little bit so that she doesn't seem quite so uh 
aggressive. Yeah, because <laughs> even though, um, you know, in, in the movie, Spider-Man at one point is like, why don't you call Captain Marvel? And Nick Fury responds with, don't you dare invoke her name or something <laughs> like that. But the thing is, that was Talos. Yeah. Who Captain Marvel rescued and saved. And, and trusted. he, like, idolizes. So it makes sense. Yeah. For him to say that. But Nick, real Nick Fury might not feel the same way. He might feel like she needs to come work with humans. Because. And help protect Earth. Yeah. And stop gallivanting around the galaxy. Which is a very Nick Fury thing to think. So that's what I think could happen. Also, just if they wanted to make the like title of the next Captain Marvel movie, Captain Marvel Sword. That would be badass. Oh my god. <laughs> you know? Goose pimples. Yeah, that would be really cool. So I think that's probably what's gonna happen. Cause you really need a whole movie to set up Sword and like get people to understand what it is. Yeah. Because um, even a lot of people that read the comics don't really know what it is. Cool little tidbit. Alpha Flight, originally not a spacefaring bunch of people that helped protect the world from aliens. They were, like, a group of superheroes in Canada. Right. Um, they were very heavily connected to the X-Men, and if I'm not mistaken, their rights belonged to Fox. Oh! So, the Which... Alpha Flight name, and maybe even some of the Alpha Flight characters, I don't know if they'd want to bring those in, could now be in a movie... And it would be a lot more reasonable use of Fox IP than just like shoehorning the X Men in after the X Men wound is the still current so sore. Alpha Flight team in comics. There's is really fun. Like it's Abigail Brand and and a ragtag team of smart, adorable misfits, <laughs> honestly. And they're they're carol's team like carol leads them carol loves them carol and them are fully bonded one of the biggest issues with um was it secret warrior what was the one Mm -hmm. where uh cap went uh hydra oh secret empire yeah that one the whole one of the biggest issues with that one is that cap and captain marvel and half of alpha flight are stuck out on their spaceship, running out of fuel, unable to breach a shield put up by Captain America to keep her ass out because he knew that she would end everything because she's Captain Marvel. And he just keeps sending waves of Chitauri at the Earth and she's trying to fight them. But part of the issue is that half of her team is on Earth on the other side of the shield. Yeah, yeah. And like most of that comic section of hers that deals with secret empire isn't necessarily about like yeah okay they go and they mess with some chitauri and then it's whatever but then it's like how do we get them back how do we break this so we can save our people like it is it is strong relationship building Mm -hmm. and i would love for them to bring that in because that to me is the biggest part that's missing from captain marvel in the mcu is just that they have done a like, I loved the Captain Marvel movie. I thought it was great. I thought her relationship to, you know, the people that, you know, was in there was great. I didn't totally love the way they depicted her in Endgame. I just, I think the thing they've done the most piss poor job on with Carol in these movies is that Carol cares about her people. Mm-hmm. Carol is defined by her relationships to Spider-Woman and and She-Hulk and Alpha Flight and yep. those people matter to her and they're what keep her grounded from essentially going Dark Phoenix like 
F you guys, I'm more powerful than any of you, yeah. and I don't have to do anything you say. Well, you know, one thing to keep in mind is that going forward, they are going to need some sort of focal point superhero for the next phases. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that was Iron Man for many, many of the movies. Like, yeah. Captain America as, like, the backup focal point, but it was Iron Man popping up in all these different movies, being mentors to all these different people. And Carol is very much a good asset for that for that yeah but they are going to have to do a lot of recovery of that character because of essentially how they made her just apathetic to earth in endgame yeah they decided to make her really feel like earth wasn't worth her time because x i mean they made her, you know <laughs> they made her more of a galaxy defender than which is great don't get me wrong it which, makes sense yeah it's totally fine but you know, and it's very apparent that the next phase and maybe phases are going to be very cosmically based. You know, if we do end up having a big bad, which, again, it's the powers that the be air. have flip-flopped on either it being another, like, huge run to one big bad, or is it going to be just a series of, like, three movie story arcs? They have kind of bounced back on that in different interviews that I've seen, so who knows? Um, but... You know, going forward, if we do have another big bad, it's probably not going to be, like, a secret invasion or a Kang the Conqueror. It's not going to be very, like, Earth-based. It's going to be, like, Annihilus or Galactus or someone big and cosmic that, you know, the heroes have to gather to get out and do something with. Yo, but can we talk about how dope they could do a Kang the Conqueror thing, considering he's Iron Lad? Yeah, Kang the Conqueror would be cool. Because you um, could do the whole time dimension-y shit and then bring in Iron Lad and how confusing would people have having Iron Lad. That, that, sorry, I yeah. got I got, I got well, a little and, down the rabbit hole, but like that would be dope. You could, have, <laughs> you could bring back the kid that played the kid in Iron Man 3. And he could... Because like the, <gasps> supposedly, well, supposedly he was supposed to pop up later as Iron Lad and then Marvel got Spider-Man back. Oh, that sucks. And, oh, like, I feel bad for that kid now. Supposedly that's <laughs> what happened. And, you know, so what would be funny is to, like, make him Iron Lad. Make him vengeful and spiteful. And then he know? becomes Kang the Conqueror. Yeah, and then he becomes Kang the Conqueror. Holy shit, that um, would be dope. <laughs> that would be, be hilarious. Okay, um, Marvel, call us. We got you. Anyway, one last thing I wanted to say before we wrap this up is keep an eye out on Flash Thompson in this movie because there is something really subtle happening in the background and i'm very curious what they're setting up with that i don't know if it's just like a throwaway subplot to make like give intrigue some pathos but it feels like i, I have a know, theory it feels oddly pointed like it feels oddly like there's a reason they're showing you these quick flashes of like <laughs> flashes um <laughs> Because it's what it is essentially is like there's one time where he gets a text from his mom, like, or he's texting his mom, being like, I haven't heard from you in a while. And then when he shows up, when they get home, he shows up to the airport and he sees like a butler and he's like, Oh, is mother not coming? So there's something weird happening with Flash's mom. And I have a theory. And it could just be, I know you have a theory. <laughs> Um, again, it could just be, like, a throwaway subplot to give him some pathos, but it did feel, like, oddly, like, put in place no, for very you poignant. to notice. Yeah. You know, if it was just the text or some other, like, very behind the scene or, like, background things, then fine. But 
There's... That the scene in the airport tells me that like the people who made this film and the people who are planning on what's going to happen to Spider-Man later, there's something there. They want you to know that Flash's mom is not in the picture. Like she is a bad mom. <laughs> Why? Who knows? T has a theory. I have a theory. Uh, mm-hmm. I think they, since Eddie Brock is Venom, um, I think they're merging some character tropes and since flash is you know mr wealthy mr whatever uh i think his character has been combined with a certain one harry osborne uh i think he is uh estranged from his daddy whom is norman and i think it's going to come up later that stark tower got bought by oscorp and Norman's going to be like, I wanted to move back to the city so I could be closer to my son. And there's going to be drama because Flash is all, I live with mom and I didn't want to go back to you. And then, but then he's like, but mom's being a bitch. And so now I'm going back to you. And then it turns mm-hmm. out that he's Harry. And then there's goblin stuff. And then, oh shit, it's really Spider-Man. This has been my TED Talk. Thank you for participating. <laughs> So, bold theory. <laughs> bold theory from T. I think it's very possible. I mean, we don't have an Osborne in the picture. Flash, honestly, their portrayal of Flash fits Harry, Harry a little bit more, with the exception of him being incredibly rude to to peter they clearly have no problem combining characters because if you look peter's technically a mix of peter and miles and betty is a combination of betty and gwen so like i don't know they have no problem squishing it's actually that's actually a very good point because you know peter's life with the exception of you know he's got aunt may and like he has aunt may but most of his life is miles and he's a white dude but i mean his you know he goes to the school best friend that, yeah he goes to the school that miles goes to he's got essentially the same best friend that miles has you know what i mean like mm-hmm. it's it's very they're similar so maybe that's their whole thing maybe their universe their like spider universe is a mishmash of like other characters you know like it's, they're not they're not trying to be exactly like the comics they're pulling in like it's other like people. infinite warps <laughs> oh god <laughs> So anyway, that's going to wrap it up for us with our real extra episode on Far From Home. Thank you so much for listening. If you want more Cover B, you can visit us on Facebook and Twitter at Cover B Podcast, or you can visit our website, uh, CoverBPodcast.com, for you know all of the different places you can download us from, all of your favorite podcasts, uh, uh, apps and things. You can buy merch. You can learn more about us. You can yep. find our Instagrams, yep. all sorts of fun stuff. Well, probably it's a little bit late, but I, I'd like to do an episode on the last season of Jessica Jones. We might have that coming up soon, so keep an eye out for that. Um, Stay posted. Maybe this weekend. And if you haven't noticed, we've moved real extras to Sundays because we were like, well, you know, we release our normal episode on Friday, and then we release our real extra on Saturday. Maybe we should push it back. Trying to give you guys time (laughs) to catch up. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, have a wonderful weekend, and enjoy your upcoming week, and get out and see Spider-Man. Go do it. It's awesome. It's good. JJ! Ah! Until next time, true believers. <laughs>